This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 109 of Real Blend, a podcast that plans to go one hour longer due to daylight savings time. Sorry, Gabe. <laughs> Strap in. We're going to go three hours today uh, on today's episode. Wrap my ass. We have a couple of major trailers that we want to discuss. We are going to get into the new film Bloodshot starring Vin Diesel based on the Valiant comics. And in addition to uh, us discussing Bloodshot, we have the director, Dave Wilson, who is going to be joining us as a guest. But before we get into all of that amazing content, let me introduce you to the guys. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I am joined as always by Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. Hey, brother. How are you? I am well, thank you. Very good. You're so handsome. We have so many good stories to tell about our trip in New York City, but I feel like we have to keep them for next week when we have our guest. Yes, Gabe's already pointing at me and freaking out. I know. Believe me. I'll keep all of that for next week, so I'll get right to Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. Hi, Kevin. Sean, Jake, Gabe, good to talk to you guys. (laughs) You know, I recently rewatched Cabin in the Woods, and I feel like our scenario is almost Cabin in the Woods-like. We're continuously, like... Like doing things to yeah. appease this giant god, <laughs> and we're not quite sure what's going to happen if we piss him off. But right, Gabe is right. like like the giant hand that comes up at the end that we have yeah. to like we have to adjust the entire storyline of our show just like, because we don't know what's going to happen if we giant don't listen to him. Hand would come out and then do a rap <laughs> instead of rap. slamming yeah. down. <laughs> I was wondering why Sigourney Weaver kept popping up in his shot like every couple weeks. That was just really strange to me. It is unusual. Uh, I saw Drew Goddard in there too. Hey, Drew. If you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods, please rectify that. Such that a great movie. It's such a good movie. Yes. Um, uh, plugs, weekly plugs. A reminder that we have a community page over on Facebook. So please head over there and search for Real Blend Podcast Community because there's a ton of people, uh, new people joining every single week I actually see who are posting their own reviews to things like The Way Back, and they are running polls, and when um, they see things about, like... They see more stuff than we do. They do see a lot more stuff than we do, um, and then comment on it, or we'll find um, an old movie, like somebody watched uh, Ultimate Edition of BVS and decided to weigh in on that. Uh, we're also posting... Masterpiece. ...full episodes on... Kevin, I'm surprised you're not coming with me to that thing, by the way. We, you, you, never didn't, you didn't invite me. You have an open invitation to come with me to you, that. I want to go to that. I would Explain ass- to the audience what that is real fast. Well, let me get through the post, and then I'll get through okay. that really fast. Okay, uh, we're putting the full episodes of uh, Real Blend on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. So if you'd rather stream the show, please head over to youtube.com backslash Cinema Blend. And of course, we are available on all of your favorite podcast apps. So if you do not subscribe to us already, make sure that you are doing that. And believe me, we have been seeing our download numbers go up week after week after week, and we appreciate you guys doing your part to spread the word of Real Blend before we get to the weekly polls. So uh, on March 28th, they're going to be doing a screening in... Michigan, in Birmingham, Michigan, now right outside the suburbs, uh, suburbs of Detroit, 
because that's where Zack Snyder filmed Batman versus Superman. And they're on the four year anniversary of the movie coming out. They're doing a charity screening of the film where 100 percent of the proceeds uh, for the tickets sold. Each ticket was twenty dollars uh, is going to the uh, Michigan chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Now, people who have been following me on social media obviously know that I'm writing this book about the Snyder Cut. And uh, the minute that they announced that this screening was taking place, I immediately grabbed a ticket to the screening and um, used my miles to make sure that I'm flying (laughs) up there and back in the same day because it's just one of those types of events that I really, really want to be at. And Kev, we were in the text chain normally and then uh, like we just didn't talk about this for some reason. Dude, well, first of all, um, I rewatched part of BVS Ultimate Edition the other night, which uh, if anyone out there hasn't seen that cut of the movie, it is truly incredible. Um, I, Sean, I don't know how you feel about it, but when I, when I watched that movie, that cut of the movie, yeah, I, I, it actually upsets me how good it is because there are so many people who don't like that film that will never see that cut of the film. Right. And- you know, I I was I was a fan of the theatrical. That was a I was a film that I actually genuinely liked. I had some issues with it, but the UE, the R-rated cut. Anybody out there, if you have a 4K TV, get that 4K Blu-ray. It is it is incredible, um, and it, it is a monstrous film that I wish got more appraised. And you guys so will never, appreciate this. My anchor yeah. uh, was was kind of given whenever we were I was airing my interviews with Ben Affleck for the way back. Uh, I did a piece about uh, him talking about leaving Batman behind, and I made the comment on air that he's actually an underrated Batman. He kind of got um, the short end of the stick, huh. and uh, my uh, my co-anchor was kind of giving Batman versus Superman a hard time, and I said, have you ever seen the R-rated cut? And I did this whole spiel about how great the R-rated cut is live on air. I've had three people come up to me at work and ask to borrow my R-rated cut. It's now being circulated around Fox 32, and it. we had viewers call into the station and, and be sent to my desk and ask me, wait, what is this? I, I didn't know that this was a thing. What is this R-rated cut? I so we, we are spreading the gospel of <laughs> the awesome. R-rated Batman versus... Now, Justice League, you're on your own, brother. I can't, well, I, I no, can't no, no. in good that's conscience. A, that's a Until terrible... your Snyder cut comes out, <laughs> yes. I, I cannot in good conscience uh, but do that. I understand. But, like, people will say, like, why would I want to watch a longer version of a movie that I was relatively disappointed it's 30 in? 30 right? minutes longer. But it's better. It just fills in yeah. so much stuff. So I, th- I've never seen on the big screen. This is an opportunity for me to see it on the big screen in a theater filled with uh, diehard Snyder fans. And um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm super excited yeah, for that. I, I, that's going to be an awesome experience. And that film is truly underrated. And Affleck still, to this day, is the best Batman to ever grace the screen. I will I will die on that hill. Kevin I have no Smith problem. put that line in, uh, in Reboot. Yeah, it's the best, man. <laughs> it's the joke, of the, uh, an update of the Phantom joke. You, you asked the other day, scenes that we go back and rewatch a lot. I have been rewatching that Ben Affleck reboot monologue. I've watched it multiple times. It's just, it is genuinely... In terms of like, if you broke broke down scene by scene, it might be the single best scene that Kevin Smith's ever written. Jake, and I it know. exists because of Kevin McCarthy. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't know if you know this, but that scene wouldn't actually be in the movie. <laughs> If, Wait, uh, what? If Kevin McCarthy's parents didn't have relations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I got to post that video at some point. You where, have where, to, dude. Where I was in a crowd of like hundreds of people in Richmond and Kevin Smith looked at my parents and said, thank you for effing uh, to my parents, <laughs> which uh, I was sitting right next to my mom. What is that like for you? 
I honestly, I was proud because my parents are cool like that. Like they're funny and yeah. like they have no problem with curse words. And they just sat there and watched all of Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And and then Kevin Smith goes on stage and does like an 18 minute story about the Affleck thing and then ends it with the effing story, <laughs> which was just like, I mean, every, it was everything. It was everything I was hoping for. I mean, if you're going to go to a Kevin Smith Q&A, you got to expect Weed, D, oh, and F jokes. You know what I mean? Course. So, yes, yeah. exactly. All right, this week's poll. So, uh, in this week's poll that we put up on Twitter last Friday, we asked that if you guys could move another 2020 movie up to fill the slot left by uh, the James Bond film, No Time to Die, which we know moved back to November 25th, uh, which one would you like to move up? Now, I left one off uh, specifically because I knew that the three hosts and most of our audience would have picked Tenet. Uh, and in fact, most people who chose other <laughs> went with Tenet. Uh, I'm going to give you guys the three choices. And Jake, tell me which one you think won. Okay. Wonder Woman 1984, uh, Dune, and Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho. I think Dune won. It missed by 1%. No! Points. Wonder Woman got it by 38%, and uh, Dune got 37%. And then Last Night in Soho, not quite as well, 14%. But I don't know if people even know that that's Edgar Wright's next film. So. Yeah, I don't think it's it's as I mean, on the radar yeah. yet. Um, i got to be honest, though. I wouldn't move. It, you know, it just feels like right now no one cares about movies, quite frankly, which is interesting sure. to say on a movie podcast. Um but, you know, right now, like, you know, all of our interviews are being rescheduled and, and you know, um, you know, it, it, honestly, it, it, even my job is entertainment coverage uh, within the frame of the coronavirus, like how the industry is being affected. Like that, that's that's what I've been doing all week. We're doing an hour long special tomorrow. And, and my block is basically um, how the industry is being affected. Um, it just, you know, right now, I don't want any big movies to come out just because I don't want to miss the the fun pomp and circumstance that comes with a, a big exciting movie like if Dune okay. were coming out in three weeks mm. we wouldn't be doing we wouldn't be traveling to do interviews for it um you know like you know it, it it would get you know I might be able to cover it a little bit but not much in the grand scope of things like right now I kind of want to just like I really don't mind things being pushed back because when a movie comes out I want to go all in I want to go Charlie's Angels full throttle and mm. I just I don't want to um you know, I, I don't want to style McG style, baby. <laughs> no, you don't ever go McG style. Oh, don't Come worry. On. Then don't it's OK. McG we'll have Terminator <laughs> Salvation. It'll make things better. Um, but, I, you know, I, I just don't want a big, grand, exciting movie. I love to be an afterthought. Oh, I, I agree with Jake. And one thing and, and this is a completely side uh, conversation that I think is interesting based on the poll you just talked about last night in Soho. Um, and this may be like a, a bigger discussion later on or maybe like a, a fun blend game. Do you remember like certain films you hear the titles of before you really know what they are? Um, meaning like I remember like Edgar Wright tweeting out, I just saw Ryan Johnson's new film Knives Out. It's going to blow your mind. I knew nothing about Knives Out like, at, at the time he tweeted that or what Last Night in Soho is. And you start thinking about what that title could possibly be. What does Knives Out mean? What does Last Night in Soho mean? And so I, I always find there's certain titles every year where I will hear that. Like, I know Edgar Wright directed Last Night in Soho, but I know nothing about the story, the cast, really know nothing about it. And I'm already, like, building the movie in my mind of what it would be, and I'm sure it'll be completely different than that. I'm sure you guys have had that happen before, or I don't know. For me, oh, it happens yeah. kind of often, but you you build a movie up in your mind based on title alone and director alone, and it's interesting kind of how it plays out. I mean, I feel like we do that with Nolan. Like, I mean, for the longest yeah. time, and, and even, like, moving forward, even with a trailer— 
I still yeah. don't I still don't know much beyond the word tenant and Christopher Nolan and it's gonna be hyped in my head for the coming months. Yeah. Still without you know, it's funny, I um went and saw I finally went and saw the Invisible Man over the weekend. And so it was the first time I'd seen the tenant trailer in theaters. And the person mm-hmm. that I was uh seeing the movie with leaned over and goes, What's that about? And I go, I don't know. And she goes, it looks amazing. I go, I know. Like it doesn't doesn't matter. Oh no. Which, wait, was it the was it the original trailer where, where at the end the guy jumps out of the uh the thing backwards and he goes, it hasn't happened yet. Is that yes. the trailer you saw? Yeah. Yeah. That trailer, every time that comes on, I feel like, I feel like, a, I feel like a somebody who's a fan of one direction, hearing a new song of theirs for the first time, like, or a new Harry Styles song coming on. Like you ever, like you ever see those like good morning America today show shows where they go to like, where they go to uh, like a Harry Styles concert and women are and not women, men and women, everybody who's fans of uh, him are crying. That's how I feel when Nolan's movies come on <laughs> as trailers. I just start crying in theaters like it's it's bad. Well, hopefully you guys uh, won't cry your way through Bloodshot, which is coming to theaters this weekend, um, starring Vin Diesel and based on the Valiant comics. Uh, it's funny. <clears throat> One of the things I wanted to talk about with uh, Dave Wilson in this interview, he's a first time director, and I thought this was Really sweet in that um, I got him pretty early in the press day. We did it as a Skype interview and he was like, "Uh, dude, go easy on me because I'm super nervous. Uh, I've never really done like a press junket like this before. And here he is out, you know, in Los Angeles promoting a Vin Diesel film that's going to be, you know, I would assume number one at the box office. uh, You think so? Well, it just has nothing really that's opening up against. Like, I don't think Onward's going to hold on very long. And, you know, they got one more week until Quiet Place comes out. Is there another big movie coming? Uh, I think I think the hunt's going to beat it. Oh, the hunt could do pretty well. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Anyway, long story short, um, he was great. And one of the things that we talked about was how, you know, in today's day and age of Marvel superheroes, DC superheroes, people don't really know the Valiant comics. And he's a huge fan of Valiant as a as a franchise, uh, as a brand and um, and a big fan of Bloodshot, too. So we got into a lot of stuff about the fun things that come with working with Vin Diesel uh, and him working his way through his first major blockbuster. So right now, I'm going to throw it to our interview with David Wilson, the director of Bloodshot. You may have to excuse any sort of newbie rookie mistakes I make during this interview. But That's I'll okay. I encourage those. I think they're great. <laughs> it shows authenticity. This is your first junket? You haven't done junkets like this before? Uh, Nothing like this, no, yes. First movie, first junket. Yes, so I'm sure I'm going to fuck it up at some point. No, it's very exciting. I'll I'll, uh, I'll do my best to walk you through it. Uh, Okay, so uh, uh, guys, we are thrilled to be joined by David Wilson, the director of Bloodshot, who I just found out... uh, is doing his very first junket. I'm very excited for him. David, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I want to start with a really great quote that your hero, uh, Ray Garrison, shouts very early on in your film. He yells out, no mission too difficult, no sacrifice too great. And we know that making a movie is an extremely difficult mission, so I want you to tell me one or two (laughs) sacrifices you had to make to get bloodshot to the big screen. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I don't, uh, there are many sacrifices you make along the way. I think, uh, personally, I don't, I don't sort of feel like I, I made anything like personal sacrifices. I think, yeah, obviously you leave your family behind for a very long time to go and make (laughs) a movie and, uh, on the other side of the world in South Africa, which is home for me, but, uh, uh, I was born there, but you know, like I, I can't deny that at the the end of filming, I was legitimately sad. It was all ending. It is a rare privilege to be able to be in the business we are in, making movies the way we make them. I would say the sacrifices that you make in filmmaking are just 
in the day-to-day sort of approach to, you know, there's the, there's the, you know, you have your script and your best laid plans and, and you're sort of out there trying to do what you're doing, but, and every day there are complications and you have to, filmmaking is, is not about what you want. It's about adapting to what you have. And so I think every day you sort of have to let little scene go or a moment that's just been in your head for a long, long time go. So I would say like overall, those are the sort of sacrifices from the filmmaking standpoint you make. But I think, you know, leaving, I'd, I'd been at Blur for 15 years prior to going off to make this movie with Tim Miller. And I think leaving that home behind, both that home and like my, my family in LA was easily the hardest. The sacrifice of leaving sort of behind the, the world that you're comfortable making films or, or, uh, or commercials or whatever it may. I think that, that was tough. Um, but, but overall, man, like the, the process of making this thing is like the, the, the adventure of making films is unparalleled. And uh, like, I just, I hope, I hope there are many more. Do you love the on set or do you like the edit process? Oh, I, look, I love, it's funny. Like, I think the best part about being a director is you get everything, right? You get development, you get filmmaking, you get the, like the actual the hands-on filming part. And then you get to sit in a dark room with one man for six months and, uh, and, uh, that sounds worse than it should. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I love it all for very different reasons. Um, I will say like the, the filmmaking aspect of it for me was the most rewarding given it's, you know, we've, you know, there's lots of editing and pre-production and visual effects in, in what we've been doing at Blur for as long as I've been doing it. But the actual hands-on like 55 days of filming on the set with all those crew and that experience and, and the sort of camaraderie and the bond that comes with it, that, that for me was incredible. Um, and it's this sort of drug that I, I cannot get enough of now and need to get back out there uh, to get my next fix. But I hope you, yeah, I hope you get that relatively soon. (laughs) Yeah. um, But yes, like I I love it all. Um, And I think it's nice to cycle through the the different phases of making a film. I feel like if I was back to back to back in in a cutting suite for years or back to back to back filming, I would miss one aspect of it. Um, and they all are, are rewarding for very different reasons, but I think the actual filmmaking process of it on this one, being on set every day, was was by f- my my sort of favorite experience of the of the lot. So I think the Bloodshot's going to end up acting like an introduction for a lot of audience members uh, to Valiant Comics. You know, they they mm-hmm. are very familiar with Marvel and DC because of the different films that have come over the years. Yes, uh, Va- Valiant approaches things differently with antiheroes and and you know guys that you're not 100 percent sure how to approach. Um, can you talk a bit about how Valiant Comics uh, separates itself from what the way Marvel and DC tell their stories? Yeah, look, I. Um you know, they, they, look, those comics have their, their anti-heroes too. But the thing I loved about, about Bloodshot in particular, um, is the sort of, I'm a big science fiction nerd and I, you know, I grew up reading far more science fiction than I did comic books. I don't get me wrong. I read my fair share of comic books, but there was a sort of, uh, this like science fact grounding to Bloodshot that I loved. And in a lot of like the Valiant comics, it looks like they found sort of grounding for their superheroes that I adored. Um, in, and, and in Bloodshot's case, in the sort of memory manipulation of it all, that aspect of sort of the illusion of choice through technology and like, and how Ray Garrison sort of personified that was the, the, the aspect that I loved most about it. As far as like the, the expanding Valiant universe, I just felt they have really co- colorful 
like superheroes. If I, my my fa- one of my favorite groups in Valent is Hardcore, which is this like group of like degenerates who have basically been given superpowers through technology, and when they turn them off, they sort of go back to being the degenerates that they are. And it's just <laughs> it's it's sort of it's fun. Like and and I like that that aspect to to their uh, to their comics. And I and it's, again jumping back to Bloodshot, I feel like he's a sort of very unapologetic character, uh, which is like. I like Vin is perfect for him, but they, uh, I lo- like they're, you know, the, the, the sort of hero who doesn't quite understand that who he is. And especially with bloodshot, a hero who doesn't, who finds out he's not really the good guy was always like the, the, one of the most in, uh, sort of enticing parts to me is like, can you be the hero when you find out you're not actually the hero? And, and that idea of, of choice in, in the face of those, uh, of that dilemma. But the, you know, as far as again, as far as the broader world goes, yes, like there are definitely some sort of colorful characters in there. Like on the Harbinger side too, there are, are many characters that are sort of considerably more unsavory than you would maybe find in in other universes. <laughs> I like that you mentioned the the team because one of my uh, favorite scenes in your film is a relatively small one, but it's kind of fun because it felt like an '80s sort of throwback. In that, when you're introducing the members of the team and the different powers that they have right the way the way that they're um they're supplemented and right before you know vin sort of says like i'm gonna go back to sleep you know or wake up because it's a fun little way to sort of talk about how these guys are enhanced you know and and how far a a step away from reality that they are and in that element i was like oh cool is he gonna be part of this team or is he gonna have to take all of these guys down one at a time right no Yeah. yeah look i love that uh this sort of transhumanism aspect that sort of, you know, like, and there's a whole, what I love about that scene too, I was just talking about it actually is like, is it all true? Like, did they get like, um, you know, there's, like I said, with the sacrifices you make, as you asked earlier, there are definitely scenes that you want that for whatever reason don't end up making their way into the film and a little bit about who those characters were and why there is some obviously harbored resentment between them, specifically with Dalton and Bloodshot sort of, uh, speaks to some of, some of their backstory. And once you know Harding is lying about what happened, like when he says, like, maybe I should try cricket, then you wonder, like, wait, so <laughs> did did he lose his legs there? And how, is that how, like, so there is, but yes, as far as, like, that that uh, that scene goes and their augmentations, definitely, like, a fascinating part of where I, that was one of my things I liked about, about the characters in the film in terms of, um, I feel like 10, 15, 20 years from now when prosthetics are, make us more capable than our human counterparts, um, uh, our natural counterparts. Like what happens to society when you can just pay for physical advantages and what happens when you can pay for neurological ones? Um, and I think it's sort of going to open up a class structure that we're not uh, sort of ready for, in my opinion. But look, the bottom line is it, it's not a, a TED talk, so it's got to be entertaining. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but that's really interesting, though, because I wanted to find out through your research how far off we are from some of these things. Because while they are advanced uh, on screen, you present them in a way that makes me feel like, oh, this is right around the corner kind of thing. Oh, yes. And you know what? It's like <laughs> another, an, another, there's this book that I love called Influx, which which would argue that they may already be here. We just don't know it. Um, and, but that idea of like, uh, I always wanted to shoot these, these little sort of 
behind the scenes videos for marketing where you would see guys testing prosthetics in a lab and they look like any of those DARPA videos that you've seen or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, like something special happens or like that's a better than human. And you're like, wait, what is that? And then what would happen is like we'd pull the videos I can say like video request, like removed by request of like RST. And then you would find right. out a little bit about the company because yes, I, I don't feel like we're far, far off. I think Giamatti oddly enough did this like web special on transhumanism. Um, I think the creepiest one is, you know, like we carry around our cell phones in our hands these days, but what happens when they're just a part of our physiology? Like what happens when <laughs> there's a chip in our brain that means we don't have to remember anything anymore because it's just all stored in there. Um, this is video game that I talk with DSX, which was the fascinating part about it was, wasn't about paying for the augmentations. It was about the, the drugs that you needed to take that, so your body wouldn't reject them. So like once you were basically <laughs> burdened with the augmentation, you were on the hook for the rest of your life to pay for the drugs that would, and I love that. And I do feel like that it, it is not far off from, I mean, you can even find like there are little medical nanobots definitely not on the level of our movie, but that sort of float around your body. And, you know, I was reading an article the other day how that will tie into an Apple Watch, which is basically, you know, these they don't do anything, but they just, like, feed you information about your cholesterol and your blood pressure and your heart rate and all of that. So there's sort of the gap between technology and, and biology, I feel like, is is closing quickly. Terrifying. A, Thank there, there was a large nerd rabbit hole we just went down. So <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's a, that's what this show is all about. We are a uh, nerd rabbit hole. That's real blend in a nutshell. Um, we have to talk about Vin, obviously, and I'm just yes. curious, uh, as your leading man, what he brings beyond uh, the obvious physicality and stature. Uh, what does he bring as a collaborator? Oh, uh, too much some days. Um, there is, like... Uh, the thing I love about Vin is obviously he's been a part of like massive franchises. I mean, arguably some of the biggest ever. And uh, so he's always thinking 20 steps beyond the day. And it's, so there is always like, well, what about like that film and the next one? And I'm like, and I'm like, we're still making this one, Vin. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, but it is wonderful. Like he's like, he's, he's thinking about like, you know, he doesn't want to leave he doesn't want to find himself in a dead end, like, you know, at the end of this movie or the end of the second one. He wants to leave uh, openings for us to explore other avenues of not just the other comics, but of the character. So there's definitely a part of him that is always challenging you to think beyond just the material in front of you or just the day in front of you. Um, and that sort of wealth of experience is, is, um, is, is pretty wild. And it's like from a first time filmmaker where you're just trying to wrap your head around like the business of the day and making sure you get the best you can from that day. Thinking like, you know, what you may be doing five years time on the third film is just sort of like, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think that and, 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 uh, and just the, the, like general, you know, I mean, he's, he's been making these movies for 20 years now, more than that. And uh, so just, you know, you, my whole approach to everything is, is, is listen, like I, I never want my ego to get in the way of making the best film that I can. So I, I say to all my DPs, I say to all my actors, if, if you have something you want to say, say it. Like, I mean, like it's, it's not, a, it's, you know, it's not just democracy and that whatever you want is in the movie, but I can't like you're the, the, the best thing everybody brings to the film is their opinion. And, and Vin certainly has no shortage of experience or of opinion. So like every day we sat down and we would go through it all and think about how we can 
sort of expand the film or tweak, you know, it's just, it's great. Very, very collaborative. Is it a challenge do you run into, or does he have any concerns about um, presenting action in a way so that it's different every time where he says like, oh, I can't because I did this already, or it's oh, too yes. close to something oh, yes. I've done? Yes. Cars, cars more so. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, there is. Look, I mean, it's like, I think any actor wants to do something different, right? And and there is a lot of, you know, I mean, Fast Series is larger than life. So there's sort of... there. <laughs> The sort of borderline superheroes already, you know. So yeah. there, there, there is definitely a um, a want to push beyond, you know, just punching a guy through a wall because like Dom's run through a wall before, you know. So we, so there was always a desire to make sure we were we were sort of pushing beyond the realms of of what his other characters may. Have. I mean, like Xander, Dom, like Riddick, they're all like the like I mean, like on the threshold of being quote unquote superheroes. So. It was very much like how do we how do we make sure that he's portrayed at a level beyond that? Definitely. Oh, I got to say, early on, uh, he very uh, noticeably is barefoot, and I thought for a minute you were going to do a Die Hard thing where you kept him barefoot <laughs> the entire <laughs> the entire film. I was like, yes. oh, this is going to be a great McTiernan tribute. I was really excited. <laughs> uh, I love that scene. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because. There was going to be my like so in the in the um, in the tunnel where there's the the truck crash and the flower goes everywhere. I, yeah. I knew I had a convoy scene and uh, but it wasn't in the script the way it is in the movie. And I sort of so I made it I made it what it is. But I I spent like a weekend researching like Russian dashboard cam crashes, which was both like terrifying and and upsetting. And then like incredible and that the flower truck crash came from one of those videos but I, one of the other ones was this heineken truck that crashed on a highway and there were just like thousands of beer bottles everywhere and i was like oh my god like i want to do that so it'll be like they'll be fighting in this sea of broken beer bottles and i'm like it would be horribly <laughs> violent and then i was like you know what it's gonna be it's gonna be too it's gonna be too gr gruesome uh but that i like at a point it was a sort of 50 50 flower or broken glass everywhere like uh and uh, you don't want to know how much it was going to cost you to get heineken also <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> um, when you are doing uh, this is an element of the plot that I don't think we're giving too much of it away, but there's a Groundhog Day sort of loop element uh, to the fact that Ray is re going to relive the, the same experience. Yes. Uh, and I'm curious when you're presenting that, how you decide, like, how much to show to the audience on the repeat so that it's, you know, it, that it doesn't get repetitive, that it's still somewhat thrilling to them that you're conveying that this element is happening um, without Multiple, it feeling yeah. like, yeah, they're living through the movie again. Yes. Look, I mean, it's, it is very much like, uh, you know, it can, you don't want to be like, I've seen this before. Like, like, yes, uh, there was definitely like that again, sacrifice, talking about sacrifices. There was so many little tidbits I wanted of like Dalton replastering the pillar and showing why like they, they get like, cause he makes the comment about cleaning up after you. Um, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah. But it's, just, you know, you, you end up and you're like, shit, I'm on it. Like we got to move. We got to get this. We haven't got that yet. So there were, there was a, there were all little things I wanted to, to get in there um, to sort of sell the flavor of, of the repetition that they were going through. But ultimately you just you just needed to know it was happening like and and i was certainly sacrificing fun little humorous moments but i think uh it was it was definitely a case of making sure and it was like i wanted to it, it, 
you know, as we were switching point of views there, I wanted to be able to show how they all reacted to it differently, how KT was sort of at a, at a wit's end with it and being frustrated and for very different reasons that Dalton may have been, right? Um, and that was a, a big part of that. But it was, it, you know, we the first incantation of it was much longer of, of that repetition. And then, we, and then we distilled it down into like, well, just like what was necessary to make it work. You uh, got to work with an actor who I love, who seemed like he was having a blast, and that's Toby Kebbell. Ah, uh, I love Toby. Yeah, you only get him for a couple of minutes, but you really turn him loose. What was it like getting him in that part? Uh, amazing. I, I've been a Toby Kebbell fan. Like, I, I remember seeing Dead Man's Shoes and was like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. And then Rock and Roller sort of blew my mind. I'm still... Oh, my gosh. Like, boggles me that there's not been, like, a follow-on to that, to that film. Right. Um, and he's amazing in Servant too. Um, uh, but I, my casting director called me and was like, hey, Toby Kebbell's interested. And I was like, and he's like, he's going he's gonna to put a tape together. I'm like, he doesn't need to send a tape. Just, just t- tell him he's, he's in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he did. Uh, you know, again, like I said, I'm, um, I try and, and elicit opinions of everyone I work with. And Toby was uh, and and guy to guy Pierce incredibly gracious with their sort of wealth of experience and of the films that they've been a part of for years, but not just you know you know movie making it, it, it can be tough at times and Toby is very gracious with his time and his talents and and helping sort of move things along. Uh, the the slaughterhouse scene, yeah, uh, which is I'm sure some of what you're referring to. Yeah. He, uh, yes, he. Uh, I you know we were so like frantic that day and we were shooting and I like, I realized I'd never actually sat down with him, talked about like what he was going to do coming towards Vin. And then I was like, Oh shit, brother, we haven't talked about like, he's like, I got this. And then he did what he did. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay, great. Let's just, let's go again. Uh, so and, well, I want to, I want to paint the picture for people who haven't seen it yet. It's, it's a dance routine. It's yeah. a dance sequence essentially of Toby Kebble. And the thing that stands out the most is, and not that I'm focused on everybody's feet. Cause I mentioned the bare feet, but oh, he's yeah. got socks and sandals yeah. and he's just doing what could be best described as a Toby Kebble dance. It's, yes. it's, it's, it's terrific. He, uh, <laughs> that was his, like, you know, again, like, uh, sort of present wardrobe choices and Toby and I talk about the character and, and I'm like, look, man, I, I feel like sandals would be like a great way to go. And he's like, with the socks though. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, all right, all right, man. Um, but yes, like, uh, he's wonderful to work with, incredibly talented. And I, I, you know, one of those actors I would, I would jump at the opportunity to work with again. Well, and someone who I think another actor who people are going to leave your film wanting more of is Lamorne Morris, who we've seen in a, a number of different projects, but he steals yeah. every scene he's in in this. He, uh, uh, yes. Talk about his energy and because and, his energy is so different from anything that's going on in the film, which is, you know, by design. Yes, very much so. And, uh, you know, I sit in the audience previews and I'm kind of and the, it's difficult. You can't. You, the movie has to take itself seriously until you know what's going on, because I, like, it's right. difficult to make jokes when the story is revolving around a guy who is trying to discover who like find the people who murdered his wife. Um, so once, but once the morn sort of steps into the film, I, I physically feel myself like unclenching in, in the theater because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like this, you know, it's this energy. It's like this, you know, sort of this shot to the film. Uh, he, I have to tell the story because this is who Lamorne is and he's fabulous. So we are struggling to find his, to someone to play the part. I, um, 
uh, like my executive and I, uh, Anshin and Eddie at Sony, like we've been back and forth on who it should be and blah, blah, blah. And I'm in prep in South Africa. We still haven't cast the role. And I'm, I'm on the phone. I think I found the guy, but I'm not sure. And I'm on the phone. I picked up the phone to dial and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this, this guy in for the, and then the, the email pops into my inbox. that literally says, hold the phone. And it's an audition tape from the morning and I play it and he has, he's in wardrobe. He's got a little scene set up. He's got a guy on the table playing bloodshot and he's in this British accent. And it was arguably the most fantastic audition tape I've ever seen. Wow. I, I hung the phone up. I called, uh, and I, uh, my executive, and I was like, we have our man. And we hired him like that day. Um, he, and that energy and enthusiasm came every day. He, like, he comes up with, like, he really made the character his own. It was sort of what it was on the page. But then, like, he just breathed the whole, there was, there's so much footage that is on the cutting room floor that I would <laughs> love to put in the movie because I'd sit there laughing at it to no end, but the scene's like 15 minutes long, you know? So, um, so we had to, unfortunately, leave some of it behind, but yes, it was, it's just, it's, you know, sitting in the, in the audience preview and just, you know, watching and listening to everyone respond to his characters is very rewarding. And I'm like, you know, um, he's just fabulous. I'm going to tell you a really quick uh, casting story that you'll appreciate as well too. We had Jake Kasdan on the show. Oh, yeah. uh, he directed the yeah, two Jumanji Jake. films. Yep. And uh, he said he did a table read for the the most recent one. Yes. And he had uh, Lamorne yeah, I know. sit in <laughs> and do it. And they get to a role at the end of it. And there's like a guy who's supposed to come and fix the air conditioning. And he's going to get he gets pulled into the game. He ends up being like a techie guy. And then <laughs> he just funny. had Lamorne like reading all the roles that hadn't been cast yet. And then he goes over to Jake at the end of it. He goes, hey, if you haven't cast anybody for that. I'll play that part <laughs> when you get this. And then there he is, shows up at the end of the movie. So hopefully he's, setting himself up for a nice payday for the third one. He, uh, look, he is fabulous. I mean, you, just as a, you know, as a filmmaker, like being able to have that sort of ball of energy in your scenes. And even like the, the best part about them is like they're always on. Like even when they, they're not, they don't have their lines or whatever, like what they are giving you every second they are there on set is gold. And uh, he's just wonderful, like wonderful to work with. I'll get you out of here before, because uh, I know you have a very busy day ahead of you. And I want to just thank you ahead of time for taking the time to to join us on the podcast. But I, I have to assume uh, watching this film and just some of the stylistic choices that you made that you grew up on the films of uh, James Cameron. Are you a big Cameron fan? Uh, Are you influenced heavily by his films? I am. I'm, I'm a big James Cameron fan. Like, I mean, it's kind of like, who isn't, right? This is difficult to, uh, <laughs> difficult to say. Um, Cameron... But arguably, like my favorite filmmaker is uh, Tony Scott. Like, uh, oh, I, nice! I'm, I am a massive Tony Scott fan. Always have been. Uh, my DP has actually worked with uh, Tony. Uh, uh, he used to shoot for him, like shot Man on Fire. Uh, he was an operator back then. But like, I like Tony had this incredible sort of effervescent and visceral style to filmmaking. And I feel like if you go back and look at movies uh, like pre and post Top Gun. Yeah, it was just amazing. Like, it was like my one real heartbreak that I never got to meet him. Um, like, but I, yes, but I look, that's not to say like, yes, big camera fan. How do you feel about them doing Top Gun without him? Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like I saw like that, that sort of gong sound or bell or whatever it is, like ran in yeah, the trailer. Yeah, yeah. I was like, ah, yeah. I'm in. Like, you didn't need anything else. 
Um, yeah, but fair look, enough. I mean, Tom's there, and like I, I, uh, I think between Joe and I'm sure it's going to be amazing, man. I'm like, look, I just, you know, once you've uh, the last thing I'll say is now having made a film and understanding not only how hard it is to just get a movie made, but not only make a good one, all you want is people to success. There's enough to go around for everybody. And so I don't sit there and be like, I'm not bitter about anything. Like I, like I'm legit, I will be there opening weekend for that movie in a heartbeat. I'm, I, I, I'm just super excited. Good. Well, I hope that people are super excited to see Bloodshot now that thank it's you. coming to theaters thank and you. David Wilson. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time and I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. My pleasure. Great to meet All you. All right. Take care. Cheers. Obviously, we want to thank Sony Pictures for hooking us up with Dave Wilson and giving us the chance to see Bloodshot early. That movie is going to be in theaters starting this Friday. Again, just a really sweet guy. Uh, really great job with the interview. And uh, definitely, you guys should give that a shot, especially if you're huge fans of Vin Diesel and the type of franchise. What kind of shot? A what? A what? A what? If you're... Wait, what did I say? Give it a what? Give it a what? Say, give it, give a, it something. Oh, God, have mercy. Don't, Come don't, on, dude. Dude, even if I pick up on don't that. Don't encourage us. I really didn't do that on purpose to the point where I didn't even know what you guys were talking about. I thought I messed something up. All right, let's get to news and talk specifically about elaborating on a, on a topic that we were just discussing earlier, the inability for us to really travel out and cover the film industry in a proper way. Um Gabe and I were heading to uh, Austin for the South by Southwest Film Festival. You guys weren't going to cover it, but you do understand the ramifications of canceling a festival yeah. of this size. The number and we of, are under um, uh, a travel ban right now, right at Fox as well too. Is that? Do you know if other networks have done that as well too? Are you familiar? I don't know. Not I haven't really talked of? to. Yeah, I haven't really talked to, to anybody else. But of. I know that. Um, I know we definitely are. And oh, let me ask you something about this too. Does that also include like sports departments and news departments? Like they can't right now. The term um, that that I am being told is uh, non essential travel non-essential. is, is big gotcha. ban. Um, okay. I'm well, not sure where. I mean, sports is an interesting thing. Um, I'm not sure where sports falls under. Um, but you know, we've got uh, you know the we've got primaries and you know it's there. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, well, and yeah. it's funny, like you say that a primary would be uh, an essential, you know, for a politics beat. I would argue that something the size of South by w- was pretty essential for the yeah, entertainment yeah. beat. Yeah, because without question. People, I don't think, recognize the amount of um, exposure that this festival gives to films that really need it. There's movies that are uh, big build films like. Uh, the Lovebirds or um, Judd Apatow's film, they're going to do fine, you know, whether they show at South by or not. But um, what we wanted to discuss now uh, are the smaller films that go to South by that had to go through a long process to apply to get in, uh, who were hoping just to get in front of press, who are going to write about it on their blogs, talk about it on their podcasts, go back and spread the word about something that they saw. The midnight um, uh, showings at the Alamo Ritzes are huge, you know, at South by. They pack houses and and you also just get um, curious people who are at a festival that are in town to go see a festival who will give you a movie a try because it falls into a certain window. Uh, they're all going to miss out on on a lot of the stuff that happens. Um, and so I wanted just to just sort of open up to a conversation to uh, how we think that a cancellation like that continues to affect these films and maybe some solutions that these other filmmakers can come up with. Kevin, I know you had a lot of thoughts you want to share on it. Well, one of the things I find interesting about everything that's happening right now is like, you know, the entertainment industry and movies, um, you know, at the end of the day, human life, human lives, health, safety is way more important. But 
I, I also want to preface that by saying that I do feel like there is a human element to the all of this, um, especially movies um, in regards to people's jobs, people relying on certain festivals for freelance money. Um, at, at, at the end of the day, while I understand that the safety of someone may not be affected by this, but financially, you got to think about someone's life. So it is an important thing to touch on. Um, and you mentioned this idea of the festival giving movies these signal boosts. And that's an interesting thing because I was reading, I was reading on Twitter when South by Southwest was canceled, this idea of people who had spent, like you said, so much time building their movie, making their movie, submitting their film, getting it uh, approved and having it that, that, that is their like end all be all moment uh, to be seen by a ton of people. Uh, And then, so it is interesting. So my thoughts were like, why not, Maybe do the festival online somehow, mm-hmm. um, somehow do it virtually, uh, uh, have people sign up virtually and have the filmmakers come on like a Q&A session somehow. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but but, you know, with the times and everything that's happening, th- there's got to be a way to get around that. Maybe still give some of these movies and 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 uh, are, you know, the freelancers some work. And the last thing I'll say, and then Jake can chime in, too, is the freelancers. Um, and I saw a tweet from someone that really kind of put me blew my mind in a perspective way that I didn't think about it because we're very lucky. I mean, I, I know I am that to have a constant paycheck uh, to work regularly. Um, but the freelance uh, beat is a very interesting thing. I did it for eight years in regards to the movie element of it while I worked like a sales job, but it wasn't just my, my major reliant income. So I saw people saying that they, they would have three months of work that they would get paid for after South by Southwest based on the films they covered there. And that was really interesting to me because I saw people like begging for jobs online, begging for writing gigs, begging for coverage. Um, And I didn't really think about it from that perspective. South by gets canceled. That's the headline. But I didn't think about the trickling down of what it would do to people financially. So it is, it is a human thing at the end of the day. I, I, again, I, I understand the, the difference between like someone getting coronavirus and dying versus a freelancer not being able to do their job. But it is an interesting thing to think about how this is trickling down and affecting people who might not even be exposed to the virus. It's very interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Kevin, you were, you brought up something interesting, which is like what other alternatives uh, might they had other, other than canceling it. And Sean, you understand the the festival circuit more so than I do. Um, but for the longest time, we were looking at these festivals in, in a very black and white way. Like, are they or are they not going to happen? Are they going to move on or are they going to cancel? And then Coachella did something interesting yesterday, which is not cancel, but just push back Moved. months. Yeah. And I and I I know that that South by is is interesting because it's about movies and and the whole point is that the, that they are there before the movie comes uh. out. But could they have pushed back? Um, and then, you know, cause th- there will always be big movies that could fall into a festival lineup, but for the smaller movies that were dependent on that, could they have pushed the festival back? Did they, I mean, granted it was the city of Austin that made the decision, but could they have pushed Cause it also had a massive effect on the city of Austin itself. Right. And, 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 um, yeah. and, uh, you know, do you think that maybe they could have, you know, they, they made the decision before Coachella, um, you know, we just decided to push back rather than cancel. Is that an alternative for for these upcoming film festivals? It's a really good question. And I guess what would be is the programming for the bigger movies, like you said, like um, 
those ones that were the headliners were programmed because of when they were going to open. Right. But yes, these smaller ones should still be able to screen when they screen. I guess it's venues. It's the, you know, if it's the Austin Convention Center, which is a the hub of South by Southwest, there's a very yeah. real possibility that it has something else going on. Um, I don't assume that the, uh, the bigger theaters like the Alamos um, that are in town that give up their locations would mind, you know, the influx of people who are coming in, even the Paramount Theater, which is their big theater downtown, whatever they have booked, you know, a lot, it might be one of those agreements where they have something else that's booked in like a live Mm. show or something. Um, So that's probably harder to do because with Coachella, it's one, it's their stage, isn't it? Isn't it their location in the middle of someplace? So it doesn't really matter when they book it. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's easy. It's not as big of a deal. Okay, so if you're, if you're can, what do you do? Push back or cancel? That's what I was wondering. Is that, I mean, well, that and CinemaCon are the next two big ones. That feels like the next one. CinemaCon like is interesting, and I think we discussed this over the weekend together. You can't really cancel CinemaCon because then it sends a message that people shouldn't go to the movies, right? Like, that, right. that's a very interesting thing because CinemaCon's all about the idea of theatrical theatrical yeah, but the average person doesn't know what CinemaCon is so i think no, if you cancel I know. CinemaCon i don't think it's really sending a message to oh i think if you cancel CinemaCon it becomes a problem it becomes that if you cancel CinemaCon and that headline goes out and people research what CinemaCon is yeah. which I, some people will i, 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 I don't think, think that's going from step 1 to 10 i i, I just feel like okay. basically i mean canceling CinemaCon is no different than canceling any other movie festival it's basically saying we don't think that large groups of people should be together it doesn't matter no, just because someone you know if you cancel a music festival it doesn't mean people should stop listening to music uh, no I, but I, but 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 the difference is is that CinemaCon is is an event about theatrical distribution so my point is if you cancel CinemaCon, the message you are sending is you shouldn't go to the movies. I, 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 am I, I wrong? I, I think you need the average person to understand what CinemaCon is to no, get that message. Dude, I don't think the average person understands Kev, what CinemaCon I, is. I understand what you're saying. I, th- I think you're going a, one step a little bit too far because I just think the only thing that's concerning to people, and I'll say this as somebody who is going to be going to each of those events, I'm not 100% comfortable being around a large group of people. Like, Going up to New York, um, which we did just recently for a press junket, wasn't that big of a concern because it's a huge city and you're not like compact around with a lot of different people. Going to a casino, which is a house where they house um, CinemaCon, just feel it doesn't feel healthy in a normal situation. Um, and in a situation where we don't understand 100 percent how like that's the thing is like nobody really knows 100 percent yet how or why this is spreading as quickly as it is. Right. Like all of that's still an unknown. So do I think that like going to Austin would have been a threat? No. But did I want to sit in a big theater with a lot of people? Nah, not really. You know, that right. those are the things that concern me. And so, so from the, the theater yeah. side of things. I think theaters should be concerned because I just think if you're looking at your what to do with your discretionary income right now, going to a theater doesn't sound like the greatest thing in the world. If you're surrounded by a ton of people on opening weekend, but that might just be me being overly cautious about my own health. And I want to clarify, like when it comes to CinemaCon, like while Jake, uh, people might not know what it is um, at the end of the day, it it does send a message uh, in that regard. But my my point, I I think that message is already sent before. I think people are already to Sean's point. I think people are already apprehensive to sit in, you know, next to, you know, in a room full of people, you know, next to strangers. I don't think it takes CinemaCon being canceled for them to have those those concerns. So, okay, let me ask you this. Um, Let's say Bond didn't get pushed. Um, and Bond came out opening weekend and you had no other way to see it except for like a Friday night showing sold out theater, 600 people in the, in the, in the movie theater. Would you go? Yeah, I would go. Yeah, I'd go. I would go. 
I would go two only because I feel like I, I, that's just who that's just me. And I think you guys all are on the same page as that. But part of you would be worried. Well, I would definitely postpone my annual tradition of licking the armrests when I go right. into the theater. Um, right. But just just for this time, just I think you time. just wipe it down first. Nah, that takes away the get, fun. <laughs> okay, what happens to Can? Does Can get canceled or pushed back? I think Can gets canceled. Um, so, so do I. Uh, because uh, one, it, it, you know, it's <laughs> it's in the south of France. Um, yeah, you know, countries in Europe have been at, at this point, as of this recording, um, a lot more deeply impacted than Italy. I mean, I mean, not yeah, France obviously is in Italy, but but it, I, I I just think that um, it's that's a much easier decision for them. Than, yeah. Also. Um, you can't pass up on the ability to have the headline can canceled. It's just, it's right there. It's just right, it's right there. You, so you, you spell it like C-A-N-N-E-S? Yes. C-E-L-L-E-D? <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Can um, canceled. I, I will say, I will say this uh, on, on a serious note, like, you know, these, this is an interesting subject matter because it is one of those things where you, we, we all love movies a lot and there are so many films that could potentially be affected by this. Are, are we saving Black Widow? Or are we going, or, uh, we'll go to, to it. Yeah, we'll okay. get to it. But you transition the, into that, actually. The reason I wanted to bring that up is because that film opens up May 1st and that's like right on that line, right? Where we are only a month and a half away. I'm actually still, are you surprised Mulan's still opening? I don't think they had enough time to push it back. I think that's what it is too. So yeah. does it wait? So now I read this somewhere. I don't know if this is confirmed. Someone wants to confirm this. I read that they did postpone the China release of that film. Is well, that they correct? have to. They don't have a choice. Right, right, right. Well, no, they don't have to. Only, not, I don't think every theater in China is closed, right? I think I, I know. I, I did read seventy thousand theaters or so were closed from Hollywood Reporter. But is every theater in China closed? I don't. Know. I, don't I don't know. Huge number. That's a huge okay. number. I know that uh, Hollywood Reporter said that there are some seventy thousand theaters in China closed. So I guess. My point would be, has there been an official announcement yet that Mulan is not opening in China? And if you're Disney and you cannot play your movie in China, if that's the case, I don't know for sure. Someone look that up. I'm looking right now. Um, if Do you re still release it in the U.S. and deal with that possibility of piracy? I mean, that, that's a very because Mulan is a global film. I mean, I remember a quiet place opening up in the U.S., and being pirated. I'm not saying it's a, not a big deal, but it's nowhere near the level of a big of a deal as Mulan would be, which is a $200 million film. You're opening domestically, which is for a global audience. Quiet Place works domestically, so they're not going to really, I don't think they'll feel the effects too much of the international box office. I'm sure that does pertain to that movie as well. But at the end of the day, Mulan is a global film. They postponed so you, it in China, for sure. Okay. All right. So if you're Disney... Why not push the movie back completely? Why would you put it out in the U.S. if you can't play in China? Your film well, is global. Here's the thing. That's I, crazy. I think you're not worried about spoilers with Mulan because the movie came out in 1998. Sure. Uh, and it's the type of movie where if you're supportive of it, it it's supposed to be an epic scaled, you know, romance battle. You almost want to go see it on the big screen. Like, are people going to still pirate it? Yes, of course, they're probably going to pirate it. But but the audience may show up to support it if and when it comes to the but theaters. But if you're there. in China yeah. and, you're, and you're quarantined. I think you could make the argument that the people of China have bigger things to worry about than no, no, see, but, going out but, of their but, way to, to see Mulan. That's the whole that's the whole world. I mean, you, you, could, you could say this entire right. discussion doesn't matter. Right. But, but, but my point is, uh, if, if we are zoning in on certain films and having a discussion, 
it is an interesting question to think about. Well, these because, are the conversations it, that I'm sure that they're having in these, in oh, these yeah. executive yeah, meetings. I would love to be a fly on the wall of some of these uh, these boardroom meetings right now. But think about it. If you are somebody in China who cannot go to a movie theater and you really want to see Mulan. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's but a But doesn't that happen? Thing. I mean, like, like movies very rarely open all around the world on the same day. So, like, it's not out of the ordinary that we might be getting a movie before somebody else. I mean, with the new moved bond dates, I think the UK gets it like a week or a week and a half before we do. Like, I mean, granted that we're talking weeks and not months, but I mean, it's not out of, it's not totally abnormal that but, we're getting a movie months before other people. Yeah, but the point I'm making is, and while it happens a lot, like for example, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood got, didn't go to China. Uh, I know certain films get released in China months later. Sonic the Hedgehog hasn't even come out in China yet. I, and, right. I, and I totally poor get that. people. But, <laughs> But my, the point is, though, is that Mulan was a global release and Mulan had a China release date. Yep. And see, to Jake's point, Jake is saying, oh, they, they open at different times. Yeah. If Mulan's release date was May 25th, this wouldn't be a problem, I don't think. I mean, you know, we can go back to, to that at some point. But you have a global release date of the 27th and 26th. Let me ask you guys a question. Um, should Black Widow move up into April? No. No, no, you don't think so. No, Why they're not, not going to have no. because they're not going to have time to do press. They're not going to have the ability to do press right now. Like that's I mean, we're talking about, dude, we're, I mean, if anything, Marvel's uh, Black Widow is going to get pushed back. Because if you have to think about it, they have to start they have to start screening and doing uh, press mid-April. I think Disney is taking a stand. And this is just my personal opinion on all this. Like by releasing a trailer yesterday, it says May 1st. Even though your movie was opening May first, you're you're basically saying Ooh, we're still opening point. May first. That's a really they um, are definitely opening May first. Hundred percent. Well, here's one thing about this though is that Mulan's premiere still happened and it's still opening. So that was the that was the big one they had to deal with. Mulan was the one that they really had to look at and go, "What do we do?" That comes out in three weeks. If they didn't cancel Mulan, why would they cancel Black Widow on May first? Yeah, and and that's another thing. And the other question that really kind of ties in here: If you're Disney, let's say matters uh, again. I don't I don't want to wish this at all, obviously, but let's say matters got really bad. Um, if you're Disney, do you put things on Disney Plus? Do you then do you that do you then do, the, do you create a, a huge right decision? Do you? But, but if you're Disney, you're talking Black Widow on Disney Plus. Hold, 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 hold on, hear me out. Hear me I out. I actually thought out. Mulan on Disney Plus. He, hear me out. A lot. The situation we're in right now is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But if it gets to a point where people aren't leaving their houses, uh, and, and again, movies become obviously waved towards the back of importance. But if you get to that point and you're a major movie studio and people are at home, why not charge a premium service on your platform? So you charge 20 bucks or whatever it is if you want to see Black Widow right now. Now, again, it goes to pi- pirating. I know. But then you I really know, run into the, the pirating thing. I, th- I think you just hold on to it. You just say. I think like, you hold on to it. Yeah. You just say, like, we'll catch you later. Yeah. We'll catch you when this whole thing's wrapped a precedent, up. That's a precedent to be the death knell of theaters. I know. Yeah. I know. But if, you're, if Mulan didn't move, I can't see Widow moving. But then I, at the same time. But Widow day, had a lot more time to prepare. And but every day is getting worse. That's that's where that's where it's scary is like every day is getting worse. Um, So I don't know where we're going to be next week or two weeks or three weeks from now. And so I don't know. Do you think and this is the last thing I'll ask before we move on. Do you think Netflix, Hulu, Amazon are all seeing spikes? 
I mean, domestically, no, because I, I don't really feel like here in the U.S. that, that we have a, a mass quantity of people who are who are being self-quarantined. I um, have been watching Saul season four. So that's me too. Helped. I'm that's watching good. The Office. That's but is yeah, it you're watching The Office. The, uh, the top post on Reddit um, uh, earlier this morning and late last night was for people in countries who are um, being contained or self- self-quarantined, what's going on? What is life like? And the and a lot of the people who were posting were basically saying, you know, it's for the first few days, you think of it as a vacation, like, oh, this is great. I get to hang out at home and just binge watch all the shows I've been watching. And then all of a sudden you kind of go start going stir crazy. So I so yeah, I, like, I yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't think that, you know, Netflix is seeing this spike in numbers. Um, the, the band Pearl Jam just released a uh, statement that I read today where they are postponing their tour. Yeah powerful statement too about their own kids and everything that was that was well, pretty heavy. there's a line yeah. in there too that i really wanted to <clears throat> point out where they said like we wouldn't wish what's happening here on the on the rest of the world and i thought yeah. like damn it must be a lot worse in those areas mm-hmm. than we're even thinking about like here we are sitting and talking around about movie release dates and i think what jake is saying is <laughs> when the stuff is happening near you the last thing you're really worried about is shit am i gonna see mulan in time like i i, I think that's kind of where those people are at right now so let's let's somehow awkwardly transition to uh the jungle cruise trailer that played um i didn't even see it yet i didn't get a chance to watch it did you guys watch it today yeah we watched it because we were told by gabe that we were talking about it on the show oh there you go see i should have done that <laughs> you know what i was doing instead was watching westworld for god's sakes and reacting to the latest cool, episodes i'm so glad that. this is a westworld podcast <laughs> tell me your thoughts on the uh jungle cruise trailer starring uh, emily blunt on the rock um, you know, I, I was really digging this idea for a while. I think I really liked the teaser trailer and then The Rock posted a couple of uh, posters that, that made me laugh out loud, which was like them blocking each other, uh, which I thought <laughs> was really clever. Yeah. But then I sat and watched this trailer and it kind of looks like a mashup of um, of a lot of movies that are better. There it has a little bit of like the, the late 90s uh, The Mummy. Uh, with Brendan Fraser and, and Rachel Weisz, which I'm actually okay. a really big fan of. Um, and it doesn't look as good as that. There's a little bit of like Pirates of the Caribbean thrown in there. The idea of like a supernatural element being attached to uh, a famous Disney ride. Right. Um, but it just looks like, yeah, yeah, sort of a little of a, a, a culmination of movies that are better because it doesn't look as good as any of those movies. I, I will say that the the, um, the Rock and Emily Blunt do seem to have really great chemistry together, and that would be the thing that probably excited me the most about it. I mean, those two are just movie stars, you know, personified, essentially. Right. And I mean, I know when they showed up at D23 to do a presentation for it and then hit the carpet together, they just did a bit the whole time through of just like how incredibly charming each of them were. And they were able to do that for hours at a time. Gabe, Gabe said, essentially, he was covering that carpet. And he said, oh, all I have to do is point my camera at you two and I'm going to capture uh, gold. Yeah, that's basically what you're getting out of it. I, I, again, I haven't seen this trailer. I, I was hoping it was going to be a little bit rougher. Um, like someone made a comparison to like Romancing the Stone and Romancing the Stone was a Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner film. Uh, it looked like they could have captured that vibe. Or the posters it, look like that. Well, or it could have been a very glossy, Disney-fied. Um, like the, the National Treasure movies get a lot of attention because people people seem to love Nick Cage talking about stealing the Declaration of Independence. But when I watch them, and maybe because it's that uh, John Turtletop, like he makes very glossy um, cable movie esque. You know, like you'll see it on TNT and be like, oh yeah, this fits great. 
But like you don't get that sort of roughed up, scuffy, you know, the, the 35 that Kevin always talks I, about. I actually tried rewatching that the other day and it, it did not hold up as well as I thought it was. Well, because it's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. I, honestly, I got about 30 minutes because I was just like, you know, I remember loving this movie and I'm just going to it's on Netflix and I'm going to press play. And I got about 30 minutes in. I go, you know what? It's not good. I'm going to turn it off. But I feel like with Jungle Cruise, the two of them can power it through almost anything, right? Like, I think they're going to be fun to watch regardless, but maybe this doesn't become the franchise the way that uh, the Pirates films did. Kev, did you like it more than Jakey did? Or I mean, it's interesting because I, I think the first trailer, I didn't like the first trailer at all. Interesting. I the first trailer interesting. was not good. This trailer intrigued me more specifically because of Rock and Emily Blunt. I mean, they're, they seem like they're having a lot of fun together. Um, I don't think the film looks like it has any particular voice to it. It just seems like, you know... It it just seems like it's a movie for these two to, characters to have fun with, really, right. at, the, at the end of the day. And I think I would clearly go to see that because I think it'll be fun to watch those two actors together. But nothing about the visual style of it or the story really struck me. But again, it's a trailer. And Suicide Squad had an amazing trailer. We all know how yeah. that ended. So, you know, it de- you know. We're, we're in trailer territory now, but I'm not hooked yet, to be honest. Okay. All right. Let's get to this week in movies where Gabe likes to throw titles that don't exist. And we pretend that we saw them. Um, starting with a movie that I do know has made the film festival circuit called Rarely. No, I'm sorry. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. Nothing. Anyone that's seen like, it? That's like the new Martha, Marsha, May, Marlene. <laughs> I guess so. Yes. This is one that I know he made up. It's called The Roads Not Taken. There's a movie out there called The Roads Not Taken. I feel taken. like that's the title of a movie that could have been made once every seven years and we would never know. <laughs> no. Uh, this one's called I Still Believe, and that is a that is a movie. That's a faith-based film, right? That is a faith-based film yeah. based on the, uh, um, there's a country music star uh, whose name escapes. Jake, come on, Jake, you should know this. What? You're you're the fan of this. If oh, there was of, a of faith-based music? If there was a death metal mu- movie coming out, Kevin would absolutely know who do you was. not Do you not remember what my favorite swear word is? Yes, I do remember what it is. Well, this one. Uh, that being said, I'm always amazed. People always sleep on how well those movies do. Those are movies oh, that like open crush. at like 10 million, and then all of a sudden we look up two months later and they're still playing, and they've made like 80 or 90 million. Um, like there's an example of one that to me feels like one of those Tropic Thunder posters. It's the girl from This Is Us, and it's the movie where her son falls through the ice. Oh, we did that junket. Oh, you guys yeah. did that joke? Yeah, breakthrough. <laughs> that, to me, if I saw that poster in a, like, it'd be like the Adam Sandler, uh, Judd Apatow movie where <laughs> Sandler's got all these fake posters behind yeah. him. Like, you'd see a movie called Breakthrough where this girl's son fell through the ice. Well, I can tell you, but, when he fell through the ice that I was like, Robert Downey Jr., I was like, survive! But that is the movie that people in, in public come up to me and say, oh, did you see Breakthrough? Like, oh, you're a movie critic? Did you see Breakthrough? And I, every time I have to be like, nah, I, di- I didn't see that. No, they don't They don't screen the faith-based ones because they don't have to screen the faith-based right. ones. They it's, do it's great. It's like a Tyler Perry film. Without, yeah, exactly. You know where they do, you know where they talk about the faith-based films? At church. The pastor gets up at church and says, oh, there's a great movie, new movie out there and it's uh, it's safe. Everyone can go see it. None of that killing, none of the, none of those dirty swear words. <laughs> That Hollywood put turns out, and then everyone the turns around and looks at Sean, <laughs> points their fingers, even throws holy water on me. Uh, did you guys get a chance to see the hunt yet? No, but I might, but I really want to. 
All right, I'm I go- see it Thursday. I see it Wednesday, so we are recording on a Tuesday. Um, Eric Eisenberg saw it for Cinema Blend and said it is not at all what you're expecting, and he loved it. He thought it was great. Um, so I'm really intrigued by that. And then, all right, I guess I'm the only one that saw Bloodshot, huh? Yeah, so um, Bloodshot. This is really hard when um, the director might be listening <laughs> to your episode <laughs> because he's featured in it, and... Um, such a nice guy. I really, I really enjoyed talking with him. Um, Bloodshot's not a good movie. And unfortunately, uh, what happens is it has a really great premise to it. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to chalk that up to uh, the books and the, and the fact that the comics that it's based on has an intriguing premise. They take a soldier uh, who has been killed at, and who has a memory of watching his uh, ex-girlfriend be kidnapped and killed right in front of him. And they put him into one of these sci-fi medically enhanced programs and inject him with these nanobite uh, viruses that essentially allow him to be uh, rebuilt, reborn, uh, you know, and and it they swarm in a way that they close up every wound and it it's got a mix of sci-fi and military violence. But what they do to him is they keep rebooting him in Groundhog Day style. And every time he lives through that last day and watches his uh, ex-girlfriend get killed in front of him, the company changes the identity of the person who's killing the ex-wife so that when he wakes up out of it, he wants vengeance against whoever it is that That's he's That's a really seen interesting premise. In his memory, right. So then they have a list of people that they want him to go assassinate, and they just change the memory every single time. So he wakes out, up out of it and then goes on a mission to go kill the person. And then halfway through the movie, he realizes, wait, I'm being manipulated. And then he goes after the big corporation. Great idea. Excellent concept. Then they cast Vin Diesel, which is, <laughs> which is fine. Which is that fine. <laughs> that was a good transition. But it just means, like, look, listen, Vin can do certain things very well, right? But you're never going to get something that doesn't just feel like Triple X or Riddick or, of course, Dom, you know, just in a different scenario. And that's essentially what Bloodshot is. But what happens, unfortunately, in the end of this movie, and I know this is one of these, you know, quick reviews, it becomes such an abundance of CGI that I swear to God, and I almost recommend going to see it for this reason alone. There's a fight um, on one of those. Now, again, I love that it's really hard nowadays in action movies, especially in the Fast and Furious franchise, to come up with new and creative set pieces that you haven't seen before. This guy has one where there's two elevators that are essentially on the outside of a building, and they're moving up and down at different intervals, and the fight keeps transitioning from the top of one elevator to the top of the other elevator, and somebody will get away from somebody by stepping onto the other one, and they have to keep transitioning to go after each other. But halfway through um, filming this, or even right at the beginning of filming this sequence, they realized it would be really hard to do it with humans, so they're just going to do it with CGI characters. <laughs> and it's just cartoon Vin Diesel fighting. No, it's not. Car- Dude, I swear to God, it's so You just CGI. sold a ticket, sir. <laughs> it's so CGI. There's not an ounce of humanity in the people that are fighting. It made me appreciate To Hobbs be fair, that's, you could say that about Vin Diesel as well. <laughs> yes, very true. So... If you want to see that uh, happen on screen, 
Uh, Bloodshot is opening in a theater near you. <laughs> I, I will always be thankful to Vin Diesel because he featured one of my favorite bands um, in Triple X. It was like a metal band called Hatebreed. I used to listen to back in back in like high school. Yeah, and they put a song on that soundtrack called "I Will Be Heard." It's the song when Vin Diesel is snowboarding down the mountain. Nice. Um, and to have a gi- to have a heavy metal like screaming band in the middle of a feature length film like that was awesome. I don't know if it was his decision. Might I, I would say, might I make the argument that Vin Diesel didn't have jack shit to do with that? Well, first of all, you don't know that for sure. Um, he might have been a fan of the band. I have no idea. Um, I would imagine he was in on the decision to, because that's a very pivotal scene in the movie. Um, I don't, Triple X. I have, I have a feeling that, that Vin Diesel's favorite band is Vin Diesel and the Vin Diesels. I no, gotta, dude, what if Vin Diesel's like a big Slipknot fan, man, or a big Hatebreed fan, or Killswitch Engage? You never he's know. actually, weirdly enough, he's actually a big fan of uh, Faith-Based Country. Oh, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I got to give Vin a ton of credit for this reason, though. Dude has sustained a career, you know, like maybe he just plays the same note over and over again on that piano, but he's still doing it years upon years upon years later. And uh, I'm not sure that a lot of people who watched him in those early films thought that that would be possible. Sean, did did Dave Wilson talk at all about like Vin Diesel's favorite actor of all time? Because I, I was reading this recently and I had no idea that Vin Diesel was such a big fan. Did you hear about this? Vin Diesel's favorite actor of all time. No, I don't know what it is. No, Vin Manuel Miranda. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was a, I was actually really surprised. He was a huge Hamilton fan. I had no idea. So uh, really a big. I mean, I, I, he can't wait for In the Heights. He's so excited about that one. All right, I want to get yeah. to our blend game this week because uh, it's going to be a really fun one um we had amazing feedback on social media of people suggesting this was a good good song blend yeah it really was hashtag song blend where we are coming up with our favorite uh original song that was written specifically for a movie um and i'm gonna let jake go first for this Hmm. one jakey why don't you kick us off by telling us what your favorite song written for a movie would be and that's the word that I need to emphasize before I, I reveal my pick, is that favorite? we're talking favorites. Yes. And we're talking a song that has an attachment to our life in one way or another. Okay. And I reveal my pick, acknowledging that there are better songs that have oh, been sure. written for films, but I could not not pick Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. All right. Okay. You're not alone. Other people picked it. Uh, I love that song. That song, I mean, one, isn't it shocking that that was Aerosmith's first number one hit? Yes. That's crazy. Crazy cheese. They must have had really sweet emotions when they hit number one. You know, it's probably (laughs) Yeah, but you know, thank God they just kept dreaming on. Um, Exactly. But, you know, I I love that. I mean, you know, if they were to make a soundtrack to my childhood or a soundtrack to my life, that song would have to be a part of it. You know, I've, I've talked extensively about this. I was 10 years old when Armageddon came out. I lived in the shadow of NASA. My dad uh, worked, was an oil driller. He worked out in oil rigs. That was the greatest movie I'd ever seen whenever, whenever uh, it came out. I still love that movie. That's actually still my favorite Michael Bay film. And that song just goes with it so well. And remember, oh, yeah. like, it, you know, it came out during the summer. It was kind of the song of the summer whenever. Remember, remember it was the video? Huge, it was a great video. And like it kind of like that song kind of took over that summer. Um, I mean, everyone remembers that song. It's synonymous with the movie. You can't hear that song without thinking about Armageddon. Um, and but if you take it away from the movie, it's still a great Aerosmith song. Um, I love oh, it. And see, that's what I was with you. Right. You don't up think until it's a great then. Aerosmith song? 
I think it's really, really cheesy. And I'll tell you, I think one, you're really cheesy. Well, that's also true. But um, <laughs> it's one thing that disappointed me the most about that song is that the, the uh, Diane Warren, right, the famous songwriter, she wrote it for them. And that was one of the mm. first times that I realized a band, you know, known for primarily writing their own stuff uh, would let someone else write their, and that disappointed me to know. Like every every Aerosmith song up until that point, but if point you didn't been, know that, would, would you have? But I do. That, yeah, but if I mean, you I, didn't, what, what do you mean if I don't know that? But if you didn't, it's still cheesy. It's still cheesy. It's like when your your favorite rock band starts to bring in symphonic strings because the guy can't sing anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jake, imagine if Garth Brooks was got a song written by uh, Hatebreed or Killswitch Engage. I think you'd probably be really <laughs> upset about that. Or Kevin, what if uh, Slipknot had did a, a hit? song and you were like this song is amazing and then they were like yeah it was written by taylor swift but see that's the thing if you first think it's amazing if you first think it's amazing isn't isn't that all that matters Uh, i see what you're saying yeah but i still didn't think that song was amazing but but it is synonymous with um okay so but you you were a little bit older than i so i was like 10 years old when that song came out when the movie came out you were a little bit older what was what was the older movie fans perception of that song when when oh it was huge. It was tremendous. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was enormous. Yeah, of course. I mean, and of course, the video really helped it. MTV Play helped yeah. it a ton. But, you know, and also like, you know, like the fact that Steven Tyler's daughter was in the, you know, it was this whole like kind of perfect mishmash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it, it fit really it, well. It had a lot going for it. You yeah. would almost say like Aerosmith at that point, they'd been down and out, but then they, now they're back in the saddle. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's a, thank you, thank you, Gabe, for understanding that. Oh, thank you. That, right. was, that, was, that was beautiful. <laughs> oh, I know. We all we all got it. We just all responded that accordingly. Was very good. All right, I go next. Um, it took a lot for me to not choose uh, "Purple Rain" because "Purple Rain" that song is just perfect. I mean, it's per- it's, it's an amazing, amazing song with one of the best guitar solos ever. But I didn't pick it because I had to go with my initial pick, which jumped right into my head the minute that Gabe says we were playing this, which is That Thing You Do. Yes! If That Thing You Do is a bad song, the movie doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's the entire movie. That Thing You Do. Oh, my God. That that song, as the kids like to say nowadays, it slaps. It is so catchy. Can wait? Can someone please explain to me what slaps means? I do not understand that. I have no idea. The kids say that like that means that it's great. Yeah. Well, what, what, what does slapping have to do with good? Good. I don't know. I mean, what what does the word cool have to do with good? Cool is or a dope. Like, yeah. like dope? cool, it's cool. Just, but, but, but but slaps is a is it? It's cool just a, it's like just a, a term new terminology. It's a new it's a Dude. new word that's used to represent. It, it won't last longer than this podcast, but it's what. Well, but it goes it's what the, back to. And Jake will understand this, like in Texas, like when a good old song comes on and you just like you're slapping your your jeans, right? Oh, right, sure. Right. That's Moving a thing we do. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Got your water. So, so, tell in me one more about uh, the state that I'm from. Keep going. It's usually five drinks in until Jake starts doing that. So I, I, it only happened a few times. <laughs> the accent comes first, and then the boots start tapping. Then you you spit out your tobacco, and then you start slapping. Jake Hamilton has never had an ounce of alcohol in his body, Kevin. I will, I will have you say. You're, you're right. Do you have you seen these washboard abs? Now. You don't get washboard so, abs drinking alcohol. But there's a personal. I have a personal um, connection to the that thing you do song in particular um, because there's a moment in that movie that I connected with on a metaphysical level, which is this. People might not know this uh, if you've seen on social media. You you realize I play in a band. I've been playing in a band my entire life. 
and uh, the Kevin loves his death metal and Jake loves country. I listen to um, punk rock. And I, so I like fast songs, really fast songs. And when I played in bands, especially when I played guitar, I played really fast. Now I play in a band that's older and I'm one of the younger people in the band. Show you how old it is. And they like to play music from the 60s and 70s. And I play drums for them and I play everything too fast. And they always say, they always turn around and they're like, oh, that was, that sounded great. Can you just dial it back just a little, just a little bit? Can you play a little Mm. bit slower? So in that scene, when they learn the version of the song, it is so slow and cheesy. It's a ballad, essentially. Mm. And I, you talk about scenes that you watch often. I watch them playing at the talent show all the time because when they turn around and Jonathan Schlegel, I can't pronounce his last name and he's yelling at the drummer and he's like, slow down. It's too fast, man. It's too fast. And then they all have to fall in is such a phenomenal scene for so many reasons because he gives that song the backbeat that it needs and uh, catapults them to one hit wonderdom. And so uh, I chose that thing you do for that reason. And it's has been in my head all week. And isn't the hook of that movie, it's been a few, I mean, I love that movie. Isn't it, that it's a, not only is it a one-hit wonder, but it's a one-hit wonder. Doesn't it peak at number two? Doesn't it never actually hit number one? Oh, that's a good I question. I, 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 th- I think I that's sort know. of the hook of the song, is that it's a one-hit wonder that peaks at number two. And the band was called Wonders, the right? Wonders. Like, yeah. 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 The Oneaters. And, 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 and they all had a really, they all equally loved John Carpenter's That Thing You Do uh, very much. So that was kind of cool. Oh, Kevin, dude, yeah. Yeah. When you lose yeah. Sean. Yeah. Didn't Hank, did Hanks? Yeah, dude, that was his first, he, and he wrote it. That was his first. <laughs> did Hanks direct that movie? Yes, he did. I like yes. Larry Crown. Larry Crown director, Tom Hanks, yes. Yeah, you're the one. <laughs> Kevin, go. Um, I went with oh, uh, wow. Public Enemies Fight the Power. Oh, um, whoa, wow. Yeah, I thought I'd get that out there uh, sooner than later, and then I'll explain. Um, it's a pretty uh, pretty um, hardcore song uh, for a film that is incredible. Why I love that song and why I love that movie is because that song is a character in the film. It's it, it's being played on Radio Rahim's radio. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's such a powerful song that still speaks to today. Like, Do the Right Thing is probably one of the most timeless films. Uh, it's very well shot, very well executed. Soundtrack's incredible. Um, but Public Enemy and Chuck D, the, what they did with that song. Now, I do want to clarify, there's some, there are lyrics in that song, and I'm sure people have heard them that are very controversial. Uh, I'm speaking on it just as a song in the movie um, uh, and, and, and what it does for the film. When I listen to Fight the Power outside of Do the Right Thing, I'm thinking of the themes of Do the Right Thing because it's written for the film. Um, and Spike Lee, you know, had it written with Chuck D and Public Enemy. So um, my personal connection to that song and that movie is when I was in college, there was a, a class called English 332. And it was a film and media type of class. And uh, it was so great because I went to George Mason University and they had a movie theater in the Johnson Center, which is the main building on the campus and it was down in the in below is called the JC cinema. And it was cool because this class actually forced you every week, once a week to go to the JC cinema, watch a film, come That's back awesome. to the class. And then we break it down for the whole entirety of the hour and a half of how long. How, yeah. It's, it was awesome. And that's the first time I saw do the right thing. And I, it was never on my radar. Um, I don't think Spike Lee, I, I remember watching some Spike Lee stuff growing up, but I didn't I didn't really catch on to him until then. This was like 2004, 2005. 
And I remember seeing that film and I remember going back to class and just having a discussion about every detail of the shot, the colors of the uh, of the movie, just the way everything. It was it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film in regards to the way it's shot and the way it's mm-hmm. executed. But that song is so powerful that it, 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 it it's it's weird. It's almost one with the film. Uh, it, it, you, you need the song for that movie to work uh, because if, if it's not there, Radio Rahim's message doesn't get really put out there as much as you want it to. Right. Um, Radio Rahim's death is still one of the hardest things for me as a viewer to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that when I watch that film, I just I want to go into the movie and just say, guys, just stop stop you know stop everyone just please just get along it, it, it just it really really scares me and i know how the movie ends but i just i don't know spike lee just kind of dra- pulls me into that film and i just don't i feel like i'm living it again for the first time the movie mm-hmm. itself um and i know that movie is important to a lot of people and it speaks to a lot of very important subject matters um i learned a lot watching that film um and it's amazing how well that film still holds up and that song, I, it just, there's something about that song that just really gets me going. Like, like emotionally, you start thinking about themes. Um, you know, I was originally going to go with something a little more fun like Ghostbusters because, you know, when I was growing up, that was a big song. I used to sing around my house with my, with my proton pack on. But I don't know. I just, I just the song, it, it, that, that song really just kind of, that's probably the most powerful song I've ever heard written for a film or used in a film the way it is. Uh, and I just think that it's like, that is quintessential use of soundtrack to display themes and character arcs. Yep. Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino is arguably one of the greatest soundtrack directors of all time. Um, he utilizes soundtrack masterfully, whether it's within the world of the movie or with just for the audience. Um, and I oh, think that... Let me ask you a question, though. Has he ever had a song written just for his movies? Like, in a, like an original song? Because I don't think he has. I remember on Kill Bill... I think on Kill Bill, RZA did do something, okay. but it might've been more theme or score based. Um, it's interesting because like Quentin's movies have always been soundtrack based, except for like hate, uh, hateful eight was very score based. Yeah. Yeah. Very like, Ennio Marconi, very score based. But je- I think also, uh, I don't remember if there's one, I don't remember if there's a song or not. Um, there might not be, but going back, like, like Tarantino makes songs that were already yeah. famous yeah. or not famous, <laughs> famous again, or, they become connected to that scene, stuck in the middle with you, uh, you know, any th- song from Pulp That's Fiction. That's why I think the point of this exercise makes it even harder. Like when you right. come up with a song that has to work yeah. for the movie. For the movie. In right. particular, that's a bigger challenge. Yeah. And I think Public Enemy, Public Enemy was always a very important group in kind of what they were talking about in their music. So to kind of get that crossroads where you bring Spike Lee's vision and Public Enemy into the into the fold, and then you have Radio Rahim. Radio Rahim is one of my favorite movie characters ever. I just love that movie so much. Um, and again, I will just stress this one more time before I wrap it up. The song does have some very controversial stuff in it, um, uh, and I know that over the years, Chuck D and some of the artists have had to come out and explain some of the lyrics. There's, a, there's an Elvis lyric in there that he came out and explained later on. Um, but, you know, that being said, for the movie itself and what it does for the Good film... Pick. Um, I think it's my favorite song ever written for a film. All right. Audience picks. Um, and again, this was really, there were so many great choices. Um, this one made me laugh. Laura Eddy 
chose Pop Goes My Heart. I like music, that movie. Uh, from music and lyrics, which was Hugh Grant's pop song. <laughs> I know that movie's really funny. It's very cute. It, Anyone and, choose Team America? Nobody chose Team America that I saw. I was going to do it as a joke, but because America, I still think, and, and, and I, know, I know you're in the middle of audience picks. I still think one day we need to get into this on the show. I'm like do an MPAA discussion because I still think the behind the scenes story of how they got the R rating for that sex scene in Team America <laughs> is one of the is one of the greatest stories ever. Right. Uh, I, I, they basically submitted an extra a, a, that that scene with extremely nasty stuff in it just <laughs> so they could get it down to the scene they wanted. Right. And so like that scene, if you're if you're a fan of those Team America movies or the South Park guys. Get the Team America DVD or Blu-ray. You can watch the M- the scene they sent to the MPAA. It is, <laughs> it is horrifying. Like they have puppets going to the bathroom on each other. It is, it's crazy. Um, but I mean, but I will say that that, that that story always blew my mind. But that song is legendary. Legendary. So a couple of people suggested songs from uh, Pop Star. Never stop, never stopping. Masterpiece. Um, since I'm not uh, popular enough on the Real Blend family, <clears throat> I was not able to watch the movie at Kevin's house. Yeah. Uh, whereas the other three guys all watch it together. So I've never seen Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Um, so what I did today was I went to YouTube and watched the, the songs that these people had suggested. Oh, which ones did you watch? <laughs> One oh, of them. Wait, called... wait, 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 wait. Did you watch Humble? No, I watched something called Finest Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. That, that was, was not, that one. Which was was very, very, is that, the, very is that the Bin Laden one? That is the Bin Laden one. Yeah. And then I watched Mona Lisa, which is just really mean to Mona You're an Lisa. Overrated piece of yeah. The, yeah, orig- yeah. the original basic bitch. <laughs> That's really dude. Funny. You it gotta listen to like, I'm so humble. Like, okay. dude, that pop star is they're amazing. Uh, they're very funny. Yeah. Anybody who hasn't seen Hot Rod and Pop Star, change that right now. Well, just Lonely Island in general. Yeah. Lonely Island actually, like, yeah, the lyrics are funny, but they're also very catchy I have Pop songs. Pop Star downstairs, and I need Wait, to. Uh, Sean, watch it. Watch yeah, it no, tonight. I need to. It's hard uh, to. No? It's hard to with the kids at home. Sean, Sean, <laughs> what? here's all I'm asking you. Do me one they're favor, old Sean. Brennan's twelve. You should never. You haven't seen parents. the film. You know, you don't know what the whether, whether the film's appropriate or not. You can't judge Shh. till it's over. I watched the the Bin Laden song. It's not. I need you to. Yeah, yeah. I need you to promise me something, Sean. What? No. You are gonna. You're gonna call me. Yeah. Facetime me okay. when you're watching the limo scene in Popstar. <laughs> like, I. I need a full blown. Wait, wait. I know that. Is that Apatow? Where Apatow goes up against no. the window? No, 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 no. Oh, this is. Wait, that's not because I know that story. Wait, Apatow. Is that Apatow against that's, the window, Gabe? That's yeah, not Apatow. No, it's, it's not. It's Judd Apatow. No, that dude. Do you know what happens in this scene? There's no way it's Judd Apatow. It's not Judd Apatow. A guy, a guy takes his. Yes, that's Judd Apatow. There is no way that's Judd Apatow. That'd be a bigger story if it was Judd Apatow. It was a huge story when it happened. Hold on a second. That's how I know it. All right, you wait. What, are, Kevin? What are you googling exactly? Yeah. I don't know, but wait. Do you know what scene? Do you know what scene I'm referring to, Jake? I know exactly. I'm just trying to figure out how you're about to phrase it in the Google bar. I don't know how to Google that, but I, I don't think that's Judd Apatow. And your mem- your search history okay. is about to be changed forever. To clarify, uh, it's possible Apatow is in that scene, but yes. I don't think that's him doing that. What you're what you're saying, Jake? Do you uh, think it's Judd Apatow doing that? I just want you to Google it. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way that's Apatow. All right. Mandalorian, who is somebody named Amanda, who likes to call herself Mandalorian, went with Jake and said, don't want to miss a thing from Armageddon. Yeah. 
Uh, Wycott Lou, uh, who listens to us and has been following us on social media forever, says, deliver us from the Prince of Egypt. Out of left field pick. I I don't even know if I know that song. Uh, Brian Stever and a couple other people uh, went with La La Land. He specifically went with Audition. (laughs) Kevin, here's one that I'm really surprised surprised that you did not go with. Uh, Clint Tomerlin said Jack's Lament from A Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because like those... Those are songs that became more important to me later when I met my wife. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Like, like I, that's definitely up there. This is this was actually one of my favorite games we've played because I, I you ha- you had to kind of I I wanted to find a personal story, which is why yeah, I went, it had to be to do the right thing. But there are so many great songs out. I mean, there. shallow. Really? Oh, don't forget about. It. I mean, shallow. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good one. Okay, so for next week, we're, we've circled back around in our underrated decades uh, game, and we are playing hashtag. Underrated 90s blend. Oh. So you got to find a 90s title that you feel does not get enough love, and you can tell us uh, why you personally are choosing it. I've using... loved the underrated series of blend it's been games. Fun. Wait a second, because it was your idea? That no, that wasn't my idea, smartass. Oh, it was Gabe's, <laughs> Gabe's idea? I think God, it was Gabe's idea. Ever since you started watching Westworld, you've Kevin changed. Is still, I, I still, Kevin is still Googling. <laughs> <laughs> I just Googled it. What did you put in? If that's true, that's blowing my mind. Gabe, did you know that? Kevin, how would I know that otherwise? I've never seen the movie, but I know that scene. Sean has a weird stack of strange penis facts (laughs) in his head. (laughs) Might be the most random piece of information. Wait, that, I can't believe that that's true. I think that's a joke. That's got to be a joke. My icebreaker at parties. Did you guys ever see <laughs> that's Popstar? Sean doesn't get invited to a lot of parties. <laughs> I don't know. Not, not, not anymore. Uh, so anyway, reach out to us on Twitter using hashtag underrated90sblend, or you can email us your pick at realblend at cinemablend.com. We have a review this week coming from the United Kingdom of Britain and Northern Ireland. iTunes didn't tell us exactly which one it is, but it's somewhere in that neck of the woods. Uh, Jen... R-J-F-J-D-N. Uh, John Jen Refugian said, this podcast is amazing. Short and sweet, she says, I simply can't describe how good this podcast is from the guests they get on the podcast to their extensive cinema knowledge. By that, she means knowing that was Judd Apatow in Popstar. <laughs> leaning against the window uh, of the limousine as it drove past. So I want to thank everybody who has sent us in reviews uh, via the Apple, the Apple podcast um, page or sending them to us uh, in emails. I'm really happy to see a lot of people playing along with the blend game by sending it to us in the email. So uh, those go right to Gabe and myself. It's real blend at cinemablend.com. This is blowing my mind, by the way. I can't believe I didn't know that. We will be back next week uh, with oh more God. shockingly revealing trivia about <laughs> old comedies. Uh, we'll also... Oh, we can tease. We can tease our interview for next week. John Krasinski, the director of A Quiet Place, is going to be sitting down for 30 minutes of stimulating conversation with the it hosts. really was it not to like pat ourselves on the back but it's a damn good conversation it really is yeah so tune in next week i asked gabe if he listened and he lovingly said no of course thank you very much all right follow us uh at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell drop us a review tune in next week us john krasinski real blend until then judd apatow's dunkirk <laughs> This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.